Hello and welcome to Back in My Play. This is Back in My Play. Get in another one of those side episodes that we do that does not necessarily focus on one game, but it is still in the realm of retro gaming. I'm very happy to have on the show for this interview, Steve Lynn. Steve, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing well, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. Well, I have to do a brief introduction for you because uh, for people who don't know, uh, you are so- somewhat responsible for driving up the prices on first uh, Tetris Battle Guide N. Yeah. And, and then uh, crazy markups like Windjammers has like tripled in price. That was totally unintentional. But, sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you don't have like a stack of like 10 Windjammers just like, oh man, it's it's time to sell. Get, get yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was all part of a, a giant plot. I'm like, if I give this to Jeff, it's just going to be amazing. Well, so. it, it, and it's so funny because even that's how I discovered those games was through was through Giant Bomb. And um, even going out to Japan the last two trips, I've looked for both of those games. Uh, Tetris Battle Get In has been easy to pick up, but um, Windjammers at you know the three arcade locations that I know of, uh, both trips have been uh, completely sold out. Um, yeah, I was there a month ago and had the same issue. Um, even Tetris Battle Gaiden was a little tougher. Uh, I went soon after they first started playing it, and I think I picked up like twelve copies. <laughs> and I, like, basically, every store is like Trader, and then going over to Super Potato and just picking up a couple and just handing them out like giveaways or something at uh, CGE or something like that. Well, that, I mean, that's that's another aspect of of what you do, and what we're going to get into is not uh, just you know, retro gaming, but also, um, you know, a big part of the California extreme scene for people that are into arcade games. Uh, but we're going to get into all that stuff. Again, in terms of the brief introduction, I'm just going to say uh, Steve is knee deep in a lot of the cool stuff that goes on in the retro gaming scene from like arcade, uh, uh, excuse me, like video game auctions, arcade auctions, um, you know, finding these uh, crazy um uh, you know, beta versions of games and stuff like that. And, and, you know, trying to get them out there to the public. So we're going to get into all that, but this is the super generic question that has to be asked because you're not even just like a, a, you're, you are really deep into this stuff to the point where it is a major part of your part of your life. So I got to ask, you know, what point did you realize that, that video games were going to play such a major role in your life? Well, I never thought I'd get this deep into it, um, but it, it started off, my dad was uh, an economist, so he did economic forecasting, and we always had sort of the most powerful computer in the house, um, just so he could you know, do modeling and things like that. And he sort of fed the early video game need for me, I guess, and you know, we had an Atari 2600 and a ColecoVision. And um, every Sunday you know, for lunch, we'd go to Arby's, and then right after that, we'd head to the arcade and spend a couple bucks um, playing uh, playing arcade games. So that was kind of like my Sunday church. It was, you know, Funsville, USA in Ohio. Um, and as, you know, there was a crash, but during the crash, uh, Joe Santulli and I had this same experience where we were just buying games because we're a dollar a piece. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, okay, I'll buy this giant table. And I never sold anything. Um, and then as I grew older in high school, I worked for sort of one of those mom-and-pop used video game stores. Uh, and I followed the industry, uh, probably because of my parents, just like, hey, you should learn more about the company and who makes these. Um, and 
as as I grew older, I started realizing I was getting a lot of knowledge about the industry history and found the business itself very interesting. Um, that and I had been sort of building my collection, uh, and especially when I was working at the game store, like it was right at that stage where NES was. Uh, Super Nintendo and Genesis had come out, uh, Turbo Graphics, and so people were dumping NES carts just to get the new systems, and I was just grabbing all of them, um, and and that, and like Atari and everything else. And so even just coming out of high school, I had this, you know, room in uh, in my parents' basement taken over, <laughs> and then you know went off to college, just slowed down a little bit, and then after that, just stepped on the gas again. So you had the foresight to know that, or maybe you didn't even realize that, you know. 10, 15, 20 years, this stuff is going to be highly desirable and that people are going to be scouring eBay and, and Craigslist and flea markets and all that stuff to pick up this. But you, you kind of just got in on the ground floor, I guess. Uh, yeah, you know, I, it's one of those hindsight is twenty twenty. Like when I was working in the store, I definitely saw a stadium events or two come through. I'm like, I already have that one. I don't need that one. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm an idiot. You know, this Flintstones too. I, I remember yeah. holding them. So, um, at the time it was more like, Oh, they, these are inexpensive. I might want to play these someday or, you know, I just want to sit down and, and, uh, get a, a really good library going. It was kind of building up to, I guess, where I was a couple of years ago where I just trying to be a completist, like, Oh, I've got this list. Let's see if how many of these I can check off. And it's like baseball cards and everything else. Mm-hmm. You just want to catch them all. So, so you, you started really early up, up till now, up until present day, how many games do you, do you know how many games that you have? And I mean, let's do that. First. <laughs> uh, I don't, uh, I don't have a full total. Like an estimate um, though. I, it's probably in like the three to 4,000 range. Okay. Um, you know, the big chunks of it, you know, I have a complete inbox NES and Super Nintendo collection, wow. uh, Dreamcast, TurboGrafx-16, Vectrex. Um, I had a ton of 2600, but I actually got rid of that uh, a while ago. Um, and then kind of moving on to things like, um, you know, Saturn I had had for a while and I dumped a bunch of that just because I realized I never played the system. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. So you went full inbox NES, Super Nintendo, and Turbo Gra- like Turbo Graphics. Like you have not only the the cases, but the boxes that the cases were inside of. Yeah, yeah, that that oh was odd. Yeah, that it was funny because I always remember it was like, oh, it's complete. I'm like it's not complete. You don't have the, the cardboard. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, th- that one. I I was really lucky in that uh, I got the Turbo Graphics 16 when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought it over the Genesis initially, and what made you do that? Uh, so I had been to Japan and I'd seen the PC Engine. Oh, okay. uh, and in my mind, it was like all these PC Engine games are going to come to the United States and it's going to be the greatest system and it's going to be tiny and it's going to see these hue cards and it's got the CD thing. It's going to be awesome. And then you know, it came out and <laughs> they obviously had some issues with licensing and Nintendo. And so you know, a lot of titles didn't come out. Um, it was late. And so at that time, Genesis was more powerful. Uh, the one controller port, all kinds of things like that. But uh, Turbo Graphics has a, a really, you know, have a really like big dedication to that system. Perfect. I just got into that too, and it's it's not, it's not a very <laughs> another cheap, cheap hole. <laughs> I know, and it's not it's not a cheap one either. It's like, uh, it, it, oh, man, I'm, I'm just trying to pace myself a little bit. But um, I mean, that's interesting. We talked to Kurt Collado about that on the Dracula X episode, and it just mm-hmm. seems like uh, th- there are lots of great PC Engine games. Mm-hmm. Uh, that never made it over to the United States, um, and it's and it's kind of a bummer. Do you think that was just because the 
I guess the guys at TTI at the time later on that they just didn't have the funds to bring that stuff over and localize it? Um, actually, it was the third parties who couldn't bring them over because of Nintendo licensing restrictions. Oh, because they could uh, only publish on Nintendo? Yeah, oh, yeah. Man. So a lot of that stuff. And, and, you know, Hudson was a big publisher on the Famicom uh, and the NES. And there was just games that just didn't show up. And it was weird because Hudson had co-developed the system. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, a lot of third-party stuff. And you had Sega games um, yeah. on the PC Engine. And, like, I think even in the, the videotape that they were playing at Toys R Us, you can see Altered Beast um, as one of, like, the coming from Japan. Like, wait a minute. Like, Altered Beast is playing on the Genesis next to it. So, um, yeah, that was a little strange and uh, yeah, yeah, you know, getting into turbo graphics collecting uh, is really rough, especially if you're going for the boxes. Well, I mean, the system itself is just really, or I should say the library itself is really interesting. Like you said, because when I started looking at eBay, eBay after I bought the system, I started seeing things like what, Outrun? Outrun's on the PC Engine? <laughs> what, Street Fighter 2 is on the, and actually a good version of Street Fighter 2, or at least you know, a competent version of Street Fighter 2 is on there. It just was blowing my mind. I couldn't believe all this stuff that was on there that you just, like, man, I thought these were exclusive to other consoles or just you weren't, you know, the console wasn't power enough, powerful enough to run this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Street Fighter 2 Champion Edition is really impressive on the system. I think uh, when I got it uh, back in the day, uh, you know, people were like, oh, it's Championship Edition. I'm like, check out that. I had to buy special controllers and all kinds of stuff to play on Turbo Graphics. Uh, that or hit select, I think, to swap between punch and kick. Right. So. Um, all right. So let's uh, let's continue to to move forward and okay. uh, let's let's talk about uh, a lot of the fun stuff in in terms of these video game auctions and arcade <laughs> auctions and stuff like that. There has to have been some some things that have popped up that you're like, I cannot believe this stuff is for sale, or maybe I just can't believe that it was valued this high. What are some of the crazy things that you've seen at these at these video game or arcade auctions? Uh, I guess we can start off with arcade. I went to a lot of arcade auctions in the Bay Area, um, which is where I was um, you know, early 2000, and there, were a lot, there was a lot more inventories right around when all the dot-coms were around and people were paying a lot of money for Ms. Pac-Man and things like that. So mm-hmm. a lot of stuff came out. And there was, was one big auction and this huge, huge piece uh, came rolling in in the back. I'm like, what the hell is that? And it turned out to be um, – I don't know if you've been to Disneyland. Uh, the Tomorrowland um, back in the day had this giant scale and it was uh, your weight on Mars. So you'd stand on it until you like you're weighting on Earth and what it, what it was on Mars. And it was actually the scale from Disneyland. Um, and, huh. yeah, I, it, I guess they had, like, dismantled it and, and moved it, and then it showed up at this auction. And so this guy bought it, and he had this piece from Disneyland. Um, actually, I think right around that same time, there was also a Time Pilot um, showed up, and it had really odd art on it. It was almost looked like it was hand-drawn, so, you know, an oper- people thought, like, oh, an operator, like, needed to make a new overlay or something and drew it. Mm-hmm. And then someone bought it and realized later it was actually an Atari engineering prototype. Um, and so there were you know, things that were different. And it went for the price of a time pilot. So it was like 200 wow. bucks or something. Okay. Um, so yeah, so there was really cool stuff like that. Um, on the sort of the console side, uh, I saw the, the Dreamcast zip drive showed up uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, that, that exists was, in the wild? Yeah, it's it's an actual thing. Uh, wow. It was the drive and a blank disc, and I think something else. Um, I didn't win it uh, because at the time I didn't have the funds. I think it ended up selling that was around, over two thousand dollars, which nowadays it's probably worth more than that. Um, 
that would when that showed up, it was like that's not real. And then he had to post pictures of like him with a piece of paper next to it and things like that. Um, uh, the most recent thing, I guess, that I picked up, and maybe we'll talk more about this later. Uh, I have uh, the NES carts that were in court case exhibits from the Magnavox versus Nintendo court case. Okay, how do you uh, get, how, what <laughs> auction did those go? Was that on eBay or was that at a private auction or? So that that was a really interesting auction. Um, it was held in Paris, France. So there were two of them last year. Uh, they were both part of a, a collector uh, collections, uh, or rather, they were items from a collector's um, collection in Paris, France. Okay. Uh, and so he put them up, and it was all over the place. I mean, it was everything from the Odyssey one and Pong machines all the way up to like full size arcade machines and you know blister sealed. Neo Geo and N64 and all kinds of weird stuff like that. Um, and, you know, the first auction had a Super Mario Brothers and a Duck Hunt cartridge. <laughs> had the sticker on it. was like, Magnavox V Nintendo, court case exhibit, whatever. And it was so strange. Like, what? And, yeah, everybody tried to verify it. Verified it exists. I had to do, I had to be like an over-the-phone bidder. So I was w- waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it's one of the, when you see, like, auctions on television, it's like, in the bidder over the phone. Like, that was me. <laughs> Um, and like, yeah, and I, I, it was almost like, I don't care what they cost. I have to have these. Um, and then later on in the year, there were more of the games. So apparently they had bought basically all the black box games that were out at the time. So this is sort of the remaining set mm-hmm. all had the same stickers. Um, and there was a, a separate piece of paper, like two pieces of paper that were handwritten, uh, technical specifications from Ralph Baer that were also exhibits in what? the case. Yeah. And so this he basically, unbelievable. yeah, he drew out like, a, you know, like basically a schematic and like, Hey, here's, uh, here's my testimony as to why Nintendo has infringed on our patents and things like that. And so, yeah, that was part of the auction as well. And um, it was funny because this time I could hear like the first time I couldn't hear the crowd. I could only, I could only talk to the person I was talking on the phone, but um, for the second one, they were actually streaming it. So I could see the crowd and like I think it was like six items in a row, right? It was like some of the black box and then the the documentation, and then they realized like I was winning them all because I kept saying the same bidder number, and then <laughs> people were like, "Ah, oh, it's that guy again!" Like you know, all kinds of like swearing in French and all kinds of other stuff. But uh, it was a lot of fun. So I get asked first: Was that like live stream, so anyone could have watched that on the internet? Uh, you had to register to bid, okay. which was a huge pain. Yeah, you had to like submit um, financial information and like bank wire stuff. It was, yeah, it was, it was quite involved. But yeah, if you were there at the auction or you know you had uh, had registered, yeah, you could watch it. This is a good uh, time to ask a question from uh, from NeoGaf that we got in the thread from Delt31. Uh, I would mm-hmm. like to ask his thoughts on using eBay as a true means of selling, considering so many of these auctions end high, but no one pays. I'm guessing he's referencing the, the Nintendo World uh, Championship uh, cartridges that went up last week and ended up for like $99,000. Yeah. Uh, wow. That's, that's a really good question. It's hard to say. I think uh, for high-end items... Um, if you're not desperate to sell, uh, I usually recommend what, um, dream TR, uh, Jason Wilson does. Uh, he's the one who originally tracked down the NWC carts by calling people out of Nintendo power, um, that he would be went like line by line down, like look in the phone book for this last name and would call, Hey, do you have a Nintendo cartridge? I'd like to buy it. Um, Jeez. 
So what he did or what he does is people know what he has or some of what he has, and he basically has a price on it that's very high. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he wants fifty thousand for his NWC gold, um, but it you know it's there. So if someone you know if you're not in a rush to say hey I'm thinking about selling this here's my price and so his price on the gold right now is eighteen thousand. Um, so if someone wants to pay eighteen thousand, you can do that. Um, you know, letting you know lists like Nintendo Age, Digital Press, uh, you know Neo Geo, um, Assembler Games, like putting out like yeah this is it, this is out here and it's for offer. Usually, I mean, if it's high dollar item, you're already dealing with kind of a niche market, so um, they're probably those buyers are probably on those boards. Um, other than that, I mean. Some people have said, like, well, if you do eBay, maybe you have to sort of verify bidder or something like that. Uh, but in this case, you know, I think the winner of the Mario Kart was you know, had 700 feedback or something and still backed out. Um, you know, some people say Game Gavel. I personally haven't tried it, uh, but yeah, I think the other thing to do is if you're selling, like, just getting rid of your stuff. Um, definitely selling on boards. Uh, helps and also conventions are great time, great time to meet other people, and you can kind of sell stuff, and you can do trades and things like that. So if you're really looking to to sell like a large amount, conventions are great because I've been able to sell at my whole table at times. Well, here there's a, a great follow up uh, mm-hmm. that, that you know it's a good thing to spread out there. But um, for most people out there, they know two things: they know Pax East. And they mm-hmm. know PAX Prime and maybe the the one that's in Australia, but I don't know if anyone goes to that. Um, mm-hmm. Are there like retro game conventions that people should keep a lookout for that, you know, are throughout the country? Or is there, I know there's one up in Seattle, right? Yeah. So there's two in the Northwest. Uh, there's Seattle Retro Gaming Expo, but the really good one is Portland Retro Gaming Expo. Okay. Um, that every year it's gotten bigger. Uh, there's tons of vendors, a ton of cool people. They're bringing arcade games now. Um, so that's really the one sort of since Classic Gaming Expo is a little sporadic, uh, Portland is definitely the probably the biggest one. Um, there's also, I think, MAGFest on the East Coast. Uh, or Midwest uh, and things like so. Looking for things like that, it, you know, it'd be great if someone started one on the East Coast. But you know, if you're on the Far East Coast, uh, Joe Santulli's store, uh, Digital Press, is awesome. Uh, it's in New Jersey. Very cool. Um, okay, let's uh, let's continue moving forward. Um, sure. So I was talking a little bit off the air uh, last week. Mm-hmm. I was talking with uh, Quan, uh, creator of the Omega, um, about. Uh, the NeoGeo.com uh, community and how crazy bootlegs and fake games can sometimes pop up, but sold as legit, uh, like Arrow Fighters 3. I think it was, yeah. that was the one that was he was talking about last time. Um, do you have any stories from the video game community of, of hoaxes or attempts to rip off the community, um, you know, at least ones that you are able to share? Uh, yeah, I think well, Neo Geo, uh, Aero Fighter Series is a great example. I think Neo Geo sees that a lot more just because there was a lot of arcade operators that, you know, wanted to buy bootleg carts and especially folk, uh, I think Korea is a really big source of, of bootleg MVS. Uh, but that whole scene gets a little crazy near the end of life anyway. Um, on the sort of others, uh, I guess the other consoles, um, I think the biggest rip off things that, uh, People have seen lately are reseals. Uh, so when sealed games started getting really popular, and right around the time grading became started becoming a thing, 
uh, there was a lot of people posting like brand new sealed games and they turned out to be reseals. Uh, so people were, were getting ripped off there. Um, a lot of times, uh, especially at Nintendo age folks, will catch people uh, auctioning things using stolen pictures. Because um, a lot of times, you know, you go to any database or you go to Google image search, you like look up Flintstone Surprise at Dinosaur Peak and there's a picture of it, right? Um, so they said, hey, and then basically people go back and flag, they're like, hey, this is my photo or like this is a photo stolen from somewhere else. Um, another thing that's been popping up a little bit is uh, people catching uh, bootlegs of popular like Super Nintendo RPGs, things like Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasies. Um, or even rarer carts uh, at flea markets and, and like small independent game shops. Uh, so someone will seem to have a weird supply of really rare carts at like just slightly too good to be true prices. Um, and you know, in looking closer at the label, you could see it's you know it's a bootleg. Uh, so that's that's most I've seen on bootlegging. Biggest thing have been on like uh, either sealed or um, stolen pictures. Well, you brought up a, a great point with like the Neo Geo stuff. That's one of the things that uh, is interesting when you get into collecting the MVS carts is that there are so many bootlegs out there to the point where it's almost like its own subsection of things that are sold. Like people are, will actually buy these even though they're they're labeled as bootlegs. I guess just as a way to still play the game. But for most of that stuff, they're they're not going to be perfect, right? They're still going to potentially be some issues with the game, like people should stay away from this stuff? Uh, yeah, generally. I mean, some of the bootlegs are pretty good, uh, but you know, I, I'm always one to, if you're going to collect it, might as well get the real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, like, I, I stayed clear of AES. I've got some, but it's not, you know, the, the whole, the bootlegs and everything else got a little too weird for me. Um, so I've been collecting MVS, and one of the ways that I sort of try to shield myself from some of that is uh, I usually buy the complete kits. So with the cardboard box and matching cereals and things like that. Man, I'm not getting into that just yet. I'm still (laughs) still just trying to buy from Yeah, you you might want to stay. Well, that's, uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of bring this into uh, another thing that I wanted to talk to you about because I, I think it is uh, important for people that are going to put a lot of money into these games. They want to be able to display it properly and, you know, make sure that they, you know, don't just, you know, stack it all up and have it out of order and things like that. So uh, when I've been looking for good shelving and, and things like that, like shelving that I can buy at a store, um, most of what I find is either things built for DVD cases for like, you know, or Xbox 360 games, things like that, or bookcases. Is there anything that's kind of in between or anything that you you recommend or you think is like the go-to shelving thing that people can pick up at a regular place and not just from like a, a crazy markup place? Yeah. Um, well, Ikea actually has a shelf called, I think it's the 
Vesta. It, so there's the Billy bookcase, which you know everybody has, and those are really deep. Um, in fact, too deep and uh, a little flimsy. The Vestas were actually a lot more shallow, uh, and you could get the ones that were basically towers, and you can get everything to where you know if you're, for instance, a cart collector, you can get them to that height. Um, and just slide them in. Um, I also hear you didn't mention the DVD cases. Uh, I think Atlantic. Um, that might be wrong, um, but they have kind of these giant media shelves. Um, and you know, a box and NES game is pretty close. Like if you get to uh, you know Neo Geo boxes or something, those are probably going to spill over. Uh, but a box NES game will probably fit in some of those shelves. And generally, uh, especially the ones designed for CDs, can can usually hold the weight um, of a collection. Uh, there's also a lot of really good plans for custom shelves. Um, I would just say, you know, if you're going to do it, do it right, and uh, you know, get make sure it's stained and sealed and everything else. Uh, I think the other thing to, you know, in terms of storage, to keep in mind is definitely um, use box protectors uh, for the complete and box stuff, like video game box protectors. Sells great ones. Um, you know, it, you know, you're in deep when you put like a thousand dollar order of just box protectors. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, that's a, another thing. I've been slowly going into the shock box route for, oh, for yeah. storing because with the MVS stuff and Neo Geo, there's basically just a, a label at the end of the cart. The carts tend to be a little bit beat up because these were traded with, you know, operators or resold and things like that. And they didn't really care about the aesthetics because it's inside a arcade machine. Um, so that has been my way of kind of like, you know, at least protecting it a little bit. And I know there's also, uh, someone that's making, uh, these really cool sleeves, like almost yeah. like a VHS sleeve, um, to, to kind of cover them and to keep them out of dust because those are, two big ass boards that you get to clean the contacts <laughs> of if you really want to uh, make sure they're good to go. So that might be worth investing in a little bit. Yeah, those are really cool. There's actually another guy that's doing like a cardboard box. Um, so it, it's just sort of like a smaller version of, uh, of uh, the, the standard MVS box. And it's, you know, he's got like end labels that you can print out and, you know, glue onto the ends and it looks pretty good. I just found the Besta on ikea and that would mm -hmm. be the one that i'm picking up oh great it's, yeah. a, it's a little bit more expensive than the billy but i think if like we talked about before that having so much depth in the shelving can kind of be a pain in the ass so yeah yeah i mean i, I like it when it was as close to flush as possible on yeah. on the bookcases i i think uh chris kohler uh editor at wired has a picture of him in the magazine and it's like got all those games behind him. So those are my old shelves. <laughs> I moved like <laughs> him. And so you can see what it looks like when, when games are on those shelves if you dig up that issue of Wired. Perfect. Um, okay, so you know, going back to your own personal collection, uh, I, I need to ask because this is something that uh, Josh, the guy that I do the podcast with, that we've talked about this a little bit, that sometimes – when you just have so many games, you can kind of get overwhelmed by by seeing all this stuff, and you almost don't know where to start. You're you're paralyzed by all these games, and you just end up not playing anything uh, because yeah. there's so much on the shelf. How do, how do you manage that stuff? Do you do you actually have the you know ability to play all this stuff? Yeah. So I, I um, one of my old IDs was a System Freak, in that I would collect. Every game system, and like I tried to get every variation for a while. So I had you know like fourteen Dreamcasts because they were all different. This one's Hello Kitty Blue and Hello Kitty Pink, and so what it, I, I pared that down significantly to where I usually I have one system in box and then sort of a playable system. So uh, I think you have the Dojin Dance uh, 
uh, Duo R. It's it's like that, mm-hmm. where you know one's like modded and loose and everything, but it's from the system I can pull out if I want to play a game. Um, yeah, you can totally get paralyzed. Uh, I've found myself going through phases. Sometimes I'll just pick up games that I know I like, and I'll just sit there and play those. Other times it'll be, I don't remember. I remember putting this one in to make sure it worked, but let's see what it's like, and you know, giving it a, uh, you know twenty minutes or sometimes hours, depending on how interesting it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely got into the, and this is sort of where I where I am now as a collector. Uh, where there's there's too much. Um, you know, when I finished NES, that had been something I've been working on for what like twenty years, uh, maybe. Yeah, I guess so. Um, and after I got done, it, it a little anticlimactic. <laughs> like, <laughs> like why do I have these? It's you know, there's a you know, no worlds left to conquer feeling. Um, and so after that, I realized like, okay, I don't really need all these games. I've done it, but. Really, what I want to do is keep the games that I would like either play or there's some like fun value to it to like showing friends like, hey, check this out. Here's a Super Nintendo game about a dinosaur with asthma. Uh, <laughs> so just something like that, right? It's like, okay, I'll keep those. Um, but everything else I can kind of let go. And so I let go of a ton of Atari stuff. I was actually pretty close to finishing, but it was, you know, the 2600 is not a lot of those games really. St- Stood the test of time, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, you know, I'm also realizing that with NES as well. So uh, just kind of paring it down. You know, I got rid of like most of the Atari Lynx. I got rid of all of Engage. Um, it, like Frank Cifaldi and I, you know, we talk about what is that moment when you realize you've gone too deep. Like, and I, I was in a GameStop and they had all their Engage games on clearance, and oh, no. ninety nine cents a piece, right? <laughs> and I I bought every one they had. So it's basically this entire table for Engage games and. You know, I'm, I'm walking out to my car. I'm like, what am I doing? This system is terrible. <laughs> Doesn't it have a good version of Tony Hawk 2 on it? I think uh, or something like that. You yeah. know, <laughs> I really haven't given it that much time. <laughs> like, I think that's probably, you know, you, you, people talk about best game on the end gauge. It's like, oh, okay. It's yeah, like the, right. you know, the least painful form of torture. So, um, so I, I think, uh, and I think for Frank, it was like he bought a copy of Home Alone for the NES and he like put it in his trunk. He's like, I'm not going to play this game. Why am I? So, yeah, I think for me, it's, it's going back to what are the games that I remember playing or, you know, when I was a kid and looking up at the shelves at you know, the Nintendo world display and Toys R Us or something like that's the game I want. And that's, I think for me, the big thing with, that's why I also keep it in box, right? Because that's how I remember it. It's like you you looked at the box, you know, flipped it over and read every single word and, and just, um, that's a big thing for me. So, uh, now it's trying to keep it down to the games where I'll, I'll pull one off the shelf. And, and I think with Neo Geo, it's um, there's a lot of lot of games on it. And I'm not going to complete that collection because mm-hmm. it's going to be the games I want to play. Yeah, and it's uh, you know it's interesting that you you brought the you know Nintendo displays and stuff like that up. Do you have any of those display cases that were like in stores and then once the store shut down, you know ran in and grabbed their display case? Do you have anything like that? Uh, I have kiosks, but I don't like oh, the cool. game playing kiosk. But I don't, I don't have the um, like the display case itself. Uh, they they never really fit inside the rooms I was putting them in. Um, so yeah, I, I usually just keeping it. <laughs> it sounds weird. Just I'm just keeping it to you know uh, the the kiosks. <laughs> yeah, strictly, strictly. Kiosks. Yeah, strictly kiosks. Yeah, I don't want to do cra- too crazy. But there were some really great ones. I remember the Dreamcast kiosk being uh, quite nice, and also the um, maybe it's a 
it was the Super Nintendo ones were were really cool. And, and also, uh, yeah, sorry, I'm just kind of you're like just bringing back memories of go, walking into KB <laughs> Toys and like, oh my god, look at Sonic Adventure too. I gotta get a Dreamcast. Yeah, yeah, the, the Dreamcast one's really cool. Uh, I actually got that one from a game company. It was going out of business. Super Nintendo one's got like kind of the the like I guess bar at the top. It's like the cylinder that's floating above the television, and yeah, that one's really awesome. And then for me, the big ones were like the Nintendo displays, where you know you could either select cartridges or there was a big red button you press and kind of cycle through the different games. Is that like play. the the M eighty two or something like that? Yeah, there's the M eight and M eighty twos, and there's different versions of those. And so one of the big things for me was collecting all of those as well. So you do you have like your top ten games? In that is that like your your ten go-to <laughs> NES games? How do you how do you set up like if you're it, it, it's like the same thing when I had a, a Play Choice ten it was like mm-hmm. so hard to not constantly rotate games out of that thing because man I want to play Excitebyte today I got I got to get that in there <laughs> yeah it's like that I mean uh, at one point I was I put in like a bunch of rare games just to take a picture of it like oh look it's like <laughs> two bubble bubble two and you know all the other rare ones in there it's like thousand um, dollars worth of nes games and you know this one system yeah exactly it's like yeah, it's, you know, little samson sure let's throw it in number five uh but yeah for me uh, I, I like the big thing for me was a lot of the black box games and some of the original capcom stuff and, and konami so it would just sort of cycle through that that group so you you mentioned earlier about going to japan and and, and buying stuff out there are there any um, are there any instances where you would try to pick up the Japanese version over the U.S. version, like based on price? I mean, that's one thing that I found from going out there is, you know, if there's no real need for a translation or there's a lot of text, you know, you can find lots of great games for the Super Famicom and, and Famicom and, and Mega Drive too that that seem to be uh, a lot cheaper. Do you tend to to buy a lot of that stuff based on the price or just because I want to own the Japanese version too? Um, I used to, uh, this is when I was going, when I was maybe like a late teens and in, in college, when I would do trips, it was more to get games to play. And so you're right. Uh, Super Famicom games were like a hundred yen or something loose. Cause they were like back was faded or something. Like, I don't care as long as it works. It's yeah. That junk bin, man. Holy crap. Yeah, but a trader. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows that bin. You're just like, oh, these are like, this is so cheap. I can, um, I can always imagine when I when I go in there, I'm just like, like everyone just like looks at me because no one touches that bin. <laughs> I swear to God. And there's also like next to it, there's a like a kind of like a smaller bin of Game Gear and Game Boy games, yeah. like that. It must be radioactive because no one goes near that stuff. Right. And they're like, oh, we'll just sell this to all the tourists uh, that yeah, come in. I'll, right? I'll buy it. Yeah. Um, so I used to do that. I think the the thing is, once I I really became more dedicated to getting everything complete in box. Like I stopped buying loose. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, totally. It, especially like for PC engine. Um, and if you get like a you know, region monitor, even buy core graphics or something, those loose hue cards are super cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a ton of awesome games. Um, you know, shooter doesn't need a translation. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a really good way to go. Uh, super Famicom, you know, the RPG stuff might be a little, uh, trickier, but there's also a lot of great games that you could still get for, you know, under a thousand yen loose. So uh, let's continue uh, moving forward. Uh, talking about your your personal collection, um, are there any real gems? Not even like gems. Not the thing that's the most like the highest priced item, but just like the the items that you have that you're like, man, I I'm so happy that I have this <laughs> and I have access to this whenever I want, just to to have this in my house. 
what what are, what are those items for you? Um, well, I mean, it's kind of cliche, but the NWC Gray and Gold uh, mm-hmm. for me are, are uh, you know, as a semifinalist in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, and so oh wow, really cool! Sen- yeah, this is a huge sentimental. Oh, wait, so hold on. We, yeah. If you bring that up, we got to take a step back and, and talk <laughs> okay. a little bit about that experience because, um, you know, I th- I think the only time I've seen any video from that was on the uh, the Tetris uh, Tetris documentary. Oh yeah, Ecstasy of Order. Yes. Yeah. Um, so first off, how did you get involved in that, and what was that experience like? Uh, so they had, they basically, you know, traveled to different cities mm-hmm. and they had a bunch of kiosks that were showing all the new games. I remember seeing Ninja Gaiden 2. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the second one. This is great. <laughs> and, you know, it's, everybody's running and then they sometimes tease Mario 3 and everybody freak out. Um, but then there was also this uh, competition. So they had all these uh, stations set up in this separate area and you'd pay, I think, $3 uh, to... Enter. So you could enter in as many times as you wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what would happen would be uh, everybody would play and they'd play the NBC cart. And then they would call, like, does anybody have a score over 500,000, over 400? And then until they were able to fill that stage, which was just like, you know, the wizard. And everybody in the audience was like, oh my, this is exactly like the wizard. So it's the greatest <laughs> thing in the world, right? Um, and so they would fill the stage. And then um, if you were able, to beat everybody on during that round, you were in the semifinals. And then what the semifinals was, was everybody who had kind of gotten to that stage went against each other um, at the end of the of the event. It was, I think, the last day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we all kind of went um, in the showdown against each other. And then the winner of each age category there went to uh, eventually Hollywood. Wow. So, yeah. yeah. So, I, I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'd gotten there and then... I lost like on the stage. You know, my dad's in there. And he just kind of doesn't know what's going on. He's like, <laughs> "All right, well, this seems to be pretty important." He's on this stage. There's a lot of these lights and everything. Um, and you know, I, I messed up on Tetris, of course. I was you know going for the risky, like I'm gonna just build for Tetris, and then mm-hmm. I lost it. And so um, it's funny because like many many years later, I tried to contact the guy who beat me uh, to try to buy his gray, and he had already sold it. So. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, you know, it, it had been a long pursuit for me to get both of those uh, and then finally getting them and especially like having them together. I actually had two grays at one point, but I, I donated one to uh, Child's Play. Um, Very cool. So yeah, that, that's, a, that's a big one for me. Um, the other one is uh, uh, one I got from Howard Phillips last year was the uh, Now You're Knitting with Power um, flyer. So it says, what? Now You're Knitting with Power, and there's like, this accessory for the NES that it looks like a thing that knits, like it looks like a loom kind of. Um, and I guess it, it was a concept that they were working on in the Nintendo offices. And they even, they went so far as to print up a flyer for it for CES and it never made it to production. And as far as we know, it's the only copy of that flyer. Wow. So, yeah. So stuff like that, um, you have some proofs. I think personally, one of the big things is, um, I have a, a copy of uh, Super Mario Brothers that's uh, autographed by Koji Kondo and uh, Shigeru Miyamoto. So, you know, that's one of the big things for me. Would, would you say that's your favorite franchise? Uh, yeah, I'm, well, I'm a big Nintendo nerd. So, yeah, um, I mean, Super Mario Brothers is uh, it's a great game. I'm actually a big shooter fan, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, it's... Like some of the those those classics, it's what I remember and what I gravitate towards. 
Man, that's 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 pretty crazy. I, th- I think I remember it must have been it probably was Chris Kohler on like Retronauts or something like that talking about that game. Did it ever come out in Japan that knitting game? Uh, well, it's not a game actually. So it's, it was or it's like, like a like a software program for the Famicom, or it was going to be for the NES. Uh, it was actually hardware. Oh so wow! It would actually like knit something. Um, oh my god! It, yeah, that's like, crazy. What the heck is it? the closest they came? They, there was a uh, Singer has a um, sewing machine that connects to a Game Boy, uh, <laughs> and you can do like pattern. You know, the, there's all the patterns. So the patterns come on a cartridge, yeah. and then a Game Boy connects to uh, the the sewing machine. That's really and cool. That that's one of those like. When you go into my storage and you see it, you're like, "What the? Why do you have a sewing machine in you here?" You own so, one of those. Well, yeah, it, 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 it was sort of like I have to get this right. And then there's, <laughs> there's that, and there's like that uh, fishing depth thing that attaches to the Game Boy as well. It's like you know the fish finder. Wow. Uh, so like this you know floating rubber thing, and it connects to your Game Boy, and you can see where the fish are. It's, it's like, yeah, I have to have dumb stuff like that because it just shows how pervasive the. Game Boy had become, it was just everywhere. And like, oh, everybody's got a Game Boy. We might as well, you know, make a cartridge that does this, right? Performance auto tuning. There's one for the GBA. It's yeah. Great. Yeah. No, I, I thought the Game Boy camera was weird. Yeah. Um, but I <laughs> did not weird. know I could take my Game Boy fishing. Yes. Yes. Next definitely. time I'll have to, to bring that out. <laughs> um, so, man, we're, we're, we might have to come back to this stuff. But, um, you know, again, since you have a pretty good barometer for retro game prices, um, are there any platforms that people can get in in on now uh, where the prices are still reasonable? Uh, because, you know, like we talked a little bit about before, it seems like the Nintendo platforms are just skyrocketing. They're, the price are going through the roof, at least in terms of, you know, what people will find on eBay. When you have copies of even like Chrono Trigger going for like $80, $90, things like that. Yeah, um, it's really Sega Genesis. Uh, yeah. Genesis is like loose, especially you can just pick those up like anywhere it, it, at conventions. There's, there was, I saw a guy who was like giving away Genesis games with every purchase. I mean, it, it's kind of disrespectful. It's like, yeah, that's no love. There. Yeah, no love at all. But, uh, you know, especially, I, it's so many sports games, I think is the big reason, but you know, Genesis has got a lot of great games. And if you're going for like a complete collection, there's only a couple games that are really, really hard. Like Madden Champion, it's not even that hard. It's a little expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Musha, you know, like 100, 200 bucks. And then Outback Joey is probably going to be one of the hardest uh, to get. But, you know, if you're going for a collection, like Genesis is still really cheap. Uh, some of the like complete stuff is going up. Uh, I think the big thing with Sega Genesis is like it never has the manual. You'll open up every case and it'll be like just the cart. So uh, that can be the frustrating thing. But um, yeah, Genesis is probably the cheapest, and you know it's, it's a great system. Yeah, I, I I've talked about this in the past on the show, but um, with like Greg Stewart's Generation sixteen videos, I kind of went crazy on Genesis stuff, and to be able to find, um, I think it's Retro Game Cables. I, I don't know their exact website, but they make a SCART cable for the Model One Genesis, yep. and it just looks so good uh, through that Framemeister. Where, man, I just there, I just discovered so many Genesis games and got into like shooters like Thunder Force. Yeah, man, so Light good. Force. Yeah, Musha. Yeah, actually, you know that—that's one thing to note about Genesis. If as someone who wants to play Genesis games, um, either get like uh, an RGB out uh, mm-hmm. on the Genesis, or uh, one of the ones where they modded it with a component out or uh, S video, because that internal, like the 
what's internal in the Genesis sucks. Like yeah. you can even see pictures of it on the internet. Like it's like black and white. Like totally, totally um, amazing experience with uh, like RGB. Well, it's it, it's perfect. It is. Yeah. The, you know, the best way I can say it is that it is like pixel perfect in in right. what you would expect to see uh, from some of that stuff. And there are uh, some really great games on there. And I and I and it really bugs me when when people <laughs> crap on it about like the you know the sound chip on the Genesis is you know it just sounds like crap. It right. there's really a lot of great games like. Mega Turrican is one of the <laughs> best sounding games I've, I've ever heard. And I, I love that soundtrack. It's just so good. And just like you said, like Thunder Force 3, awesome mm-hmm. soundtrack, sounds fantastic. And I think it was just like a lot of the American developed games, like from like from EA and stuff, like uh, I was playing Outlander and that game mm-hmm. sounds terrible. Yeah. Like there's yeah. no doubt about it. But there are so many games that just made perfect use of the sound chip and really do sound great. And I would put them up against a lot of the Super Nintendo stuff that came out at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it has its own its own style, right? And yeah. when you hear a Genesis soundtrack, you're like, oh, that's the Genesis. And you know, there's a lot of nostalgia there. Um, you know, some people are like, oh, it kind of sounds like an Amiga or, you know, like a lot of those European releases. I'm like, that's cool. Like, mm-hmm. it's, like it's the way it sounds, right? And you, that could be good or bad depending on who you are. And it's not just Streets of Rage 2, although that's really, that's, I mean, that, that's probably top tier when it comes to the uh, audio and soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so you, you mentioned a little bit about this before, but in terms of your, uh, you know, your collection, I, I got to ask you, how do you, how do you determine what you're going to be looking for at a certain point? Because I'm really bad where uh, I bought the Omega and just said, all right, well, I'm just going to drop twelve hundred dollars on mbs stuff and i need well i need two controllers so that's going to be like 120 dollars mm-hmm. um i need extension cables for those because the cords on the aes sticks are like three feet and mm-hmm. uh also yeah you know i should probably get shock boxes for each one of my games which is going to be you know another couple hundred dollars so how, how do you do you are you able to control a what you're looking for and b like what what kind of just sparks that need to start looking on on eBay or, or looking around on Craigslist or whatever for this stuff? Is there anything that kind of drives you for this? Um, well, I like for me personally, my collecting is more geared towards whatever's like really rare or unreleased at this point. Um, you know, because stuff that's released, I I've probably either have it or I've had it. Um, so it's more talking to other collectors like, Hey, have you found, you know, talk to that guy who has that prototype system or, you know, this dev kit or something like that. Um, but in terms of what's kind of sparked things for me, it's like, Oh yeah, I should probably pick up that game. It's usually just, I'll be playing something and it will remind me of another game. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that game's great. Like, I guess I'll hunt on eBay for that. Um, and start doing a search. Um, I think the big thing, and especially for people who, you know, are just getting into collecting or, um, you know, want to be very judicious about your budget is really just try not to be in a hurry. Um, when you're in a hurry, everything costs more. So, uh, it's just being patient, like, okay, I know I'm going to find this probably for this price eventually. Um, you know, not passing up good deals, but just finding out, well, you know, I won't get that instant gratification of being able to play it, but really, are you going to have the time to play it anyway? Um, and so you'll probably, it's more like when you're a kid, you know, you only have one game for months, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I'm going to play the hell out of this game, even though it's terrible. Um, it's when, when things come in a lot, 
you really don't get to enjoy any of them, is, is my opinion. It's, it's the same problem I actually have with meme cabinets. I've yeah, seen people exactly. get them, and like, they jump on it like, yeah, I'm going to play this and play this, and they like, jump around, and they never really sit down and really get to know a game or, or really enjoy it because there's all the selection. So mm-hmm. I think that you know, if, you know, if you're going to dip your toe into Neo Geo, you'll probably get like a two or three carts along with that. Really play through those and see, you know, well, if do I want to play a shooter? Do I want to play this? As awful as it might sound, you know, try playing some of them on an emulator just to see if it's, or watching a YouTube video, see if it's something that's your speed. And then, you know, put it on the list and next time you're at a convention or you're kind of doing eBay searches, one comes up for a good price, just buy it. Yeah, like, uh, like that's, patience is probably a lot better. Um, (laughs) I was super lucky on eBay last night and got a bunch of MVS cards that I was looking for, for like 35, $40 a piece just because someone was like, yeah, I'm just getting rid of all my video games. So they just posted (laughs) it it with like low buy it now prices. And he must've thought I was crazy because I, he posted something and 30 seconds later I'd buy it now. Like I was some kind of bot, but, uh, (laughs) luckily we conversed through messages and we made sure everything was, uh, okay to go uh, yeah when it came well, to it, that stuff there's a it's that's a funny phenomenon the getting out of collecting it happens every year at california extreme which is the uh, arcade collector <laughs> convention there's always one guy who's like all right i'm out and he just puts for sale signs <laughs> on all their stuff it's like i do not want to haul back 20 games and so yeah, like, all the collectors start swarming i'm like all right i got this for that and it's like yeah now this, my truck needs space for one more game because i'm going back with more well, for me, it's it's always been about compromise. Like I I could look at you know I'll sell my you know Neo Geo MVS and I can get an Omega. I have all this extra space now, mm. um, and I can get back into MVS collecting the way it should be done. And right. uh, it it is it it is just the way that I convince myself that it's okay that I'm doing this stuff <laughs> and that I'm putting this uh, these funds on a uh, credit card. But I'm earning oh. points, so it it, it works. <laughs> um, Let's let's talk a little bit about since we're we're already on this route. Let's talk a little bit more about the the Neo Geo because yeah. um, I, I think it's a super interesting library um, for for people just because it is really just a bunch of arcade games, um, but it are there are arcade games that people can own except for you know the the couple that were made for the home use mm-hmm. um, specifically. But I, I got to ask you, like, what are your your top three or, or five games or whatever that um, are outside of the the general, like the Metal Slugs, the Samurai Showdowns too, the, the King of Fighters, those those games that kind of just speak to you that are just are just always in your your four slider that you always find yourself popping into the the uh, the MVS. Oh, uh, so not like the the big ones. Not um, like yeah, like the yeah. you know everyone's like yeah, Samurai Showdown two, Metal Slug X, like all that right. stuff. Uh, I, I I always have Puzzle Bobble. Uh, mm-hmm. in the system, which is interesting because I can't play it that well. I'm colorblind. Uh, so that game's really hard um, <laughs> for me. But everybody else plays it. I think that's the thing. It's, you know, I want my collection to be played. That's yeah. one of the reasons I bring everything to California Extreme. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I try to dump ROMs and get them out to everybody. It's, you know, it's a big, big uh, thing for me. So yeah, Puzzle Bobble's always in there. Um, Neo Turf Masters, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Windjammers, uh, which obviously has had the resurgence. Um, <laughs> let's see, Money Puzzle Exchanger uh, is really fun. Yeah, it's been hard to find. I've been looking for yeah, that. Yeah, that, that one's always been hard to find, yeah. right? even back in the day. Um, and then like Twinkle Star Sprites uh, is also good. Okay, talk to me about that. Okay. What, uh, what, what, what's the, what, what is the hook? 
it, I mean, it's a two-player shooter, right? Competitive okay. shooter. So it's it, like, it brings together many things that I love. Um, and it's, it's got this cute look to it, but it's actually you know, many, like a little bit more core than you would think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so people look at it and like, oh, what is this? And they'll kind of jump in and you know, someone will just obliterate them like, oh, well, <laughs> i got to get better at these. Um, and then, you know, in terms of shooters, uh, I always have Viewpoint in there. I, I don't know yeah. if it's because of the soundtrack or... It's so good. Yes. <laughs> it's because, like, I like... It's kind of hard to play, but um, the soundtrack is great. So I always have that kind of floating around. I found uh, the very first MVS that I bought was in a barn that uh, the motherboard, you know, they're in the four slots, there's, like, a defect <laughs> in the motherboard. Right. Um, so the, the games won't boot up. And... Uh, I was able to get like a really nice looking four slot for two hundred dollars with, um, and actually I it was so funny. I, I wrote into the the bombcast about this too, and uh, mm-hmm. I was got uh, confirmation that Viewpoint was a good game from that. But um, <laughs> the uh, it came with Viewpoint, uh, Samurai Showdown, um, but it was Art of Fighting and uh, Baseball Stars. And mm-hmm. that cart, I, like I tried, played Viewpoint, played it for a couple of weeks, and sold it for two fifty, uh, just because like I'm um, paid like, for the whole cabinet. <laughs> it, it paid for the whole cabinet, and it allowed me to get Baseball Stars too. It allowed me to get Neo Turf Masters. It allowed me to get a Metal Slug game. So I traded three ga- uh, one game for three really also great games. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is uh, an interesting game, and even like the the Genesis version is pretty interesting too. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, sounds pretty good for a Genesis game. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, those are those are kind of my like core uh, Neo Geo games. I think for me, the big one's Showdown Two. Uh, it was the one that I had with an AES in college, uh, and so I played the hell out of that game. Um, and it was you know one of only three cards I had for the AES because everything was so expensive. Yeah, it's such a it's such a <laughs> weird library. Um, <laughs> well, I, I think that I might be out of questions. Um, okay. But I, I, I think the, the last thing I would love to, to wrap up on is first to talk a little bit um, about California Extreme for people that, that don't know about it, um, just because you, you are a real big part of that um, and kind of spreading the word. Um, and then also, uh, where can people kind of check out your stuff? Obviously, uh, with Gree, um, for people to uh, be uh, informed about that and also, you know, Twitter and things like that, just so they can, because I don't know. People out there follow Steve because he posts the craziest, like, again, going to these auctions and things like that, like the pictures that he posts on there are just like the stuff from his collection. It's it's worth the follow alone. And um, and sometimes <laughs> if you get to see pictures of uh, Go Go Curry to know what you're missing out on uh, yeah. because that stuff is just – it's just like – the the food of the gods um it's just such a it's such a shame that it's only in new york city i know um, in the united states but um yeah so sorry a little bit of a a rant there (laughs) no go go curry's great there's i mean it's like you know people say that there's a couple others that that uh, vie for the title there Um, uh no they're they're like that coco curry i've had it it's okay (laughs) like it's there's something magical it's just the the, there's no gorilla that's the thing there's no gorilla and there's no like 30 second loop of that crazy annoying song that's just playing over and over and over in the uh in the restaurant that might make you go crazy yeah um, yeah it's, it's sort of like stockholm syndrome it's like first you hate it and then you just can't get away from it you well I, need- I thought it was just like anti-social japanese students <laughs> that were like sitting in there with their headphones on like their face buried like face and that's another thing you go to go go curry you will see some small people eat the biggest place of 
plates of food that like i'm a pretty i'm a big dude like i i cannot i go with like the, maybe the 800 yen or maybe 850 plate like i see guys that get the king mm-hmm. with all the sides and all that stuff and just like eat it like it's like it's just their everyday lunch it is the most unbelievable sight i've ever seen Hell yeah. Well, it's that Japanese, like you should finish everything on your plate. Of course. Uh, mentality, right? It's like all those eating challenges. So, um, yeah, so uh, I, I do I occasionally tweet about curry, but um, <laughs> on Twitter, I'm uh, at Stephen P. Lin. That's uh, with a V. And, uh, the, you know, that's probably the main outlet. I have uh, KenshaHall.com um, where I put <laughs> some stuff on Tumblr. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. So, Kensha Hall, for those of you who don't know, was the uh, dregs of E3 uh, back before. Be- before it became a parking lot and Guitar Hero first showed up there, but it's also like, you know, the Croatian Game Developers Association and like bizarre add-ons for the Wii and stuff like that. So <laughs> it was always where you'd find like the weird stuff. And so, uh, yeah, Kensha Hall. Um, I'm sorry, what was the first part of the question? I get, uh, oh, and also, I mean, uh, talking about, oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so California Extreme is a, is a show that's put on yearly by a lot of the collectors in the Bay Area. So it's usually held in Santa Clara, um, probably by uh, Great America, Yahoo is around there. Uh, and what we do is collectors bring either all or parts of their collection, and we rent out a convention space and put basically make the biggest arcade you've ever seen, and everything's on free place. Pay like you know 20 bucks or whatever at the door, and then you can just walk in and, and play everything. So it's arcade and pinball. Um, and you know, whatever game you remember playing as a kid, it's almost certainly there. And there's also a lot of collectors who bring in, you know, one of a kinds or really rare prototypes. So uh, Marble Madness 2, like Marble Man is there, uh, there's a Primal Rage 2, like Beavis and Butthead, and, and all these like bizarre one-offs um, and stuff you've never played. But it's a good opportunity to just kind of get to know games. And it's, it's interesting because it's family-friendly, right? It's not, uh, you know, it goes until two o'clock in the morning sometimes, but, um, you know, during the day there's like parents and kids and kids are really getting into it. It's great. You know, they kind of like these ancient toys. It's like uh, back to future Two. It's like, you have to use your hands. That's like a famous <laughs> toy. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a great event. Um, and there's cool stuff that kind of happens on the sides. Like, uh, I think, you know, giant bomb has talked about the warlords cash games, uh, that have popped up and just, you know, really getting, if you're a collector or you want to be a collector, it's a great opportunity to meet other people who will help you, um, in the future, because if it's your first game, you're going to have problems with it eventually. Um, and it's, you know, like I said, there's always collectors who are selling or trading and, um, you know, if you have the transportation and the space, uh, and you're in the area, I guess it's a, it's a great event. Um, it's worth flying into, uh, my opinion. Yeah, and, and and it's good to get bitten by that bug of arcade ownership, and just to, <laughs> just for the experience. And like, I will, I I don't have. I went from the highest. I think I had ten machines in my living room. I live in a one bedroom <laughs> apartment, which was kind of ridiculous. Um, and I'm I'm down to zero now. But just that experience of, you know. Learning how to, uh, you know, cap monitors and learning about the wiring, you know, the troubleshooting of fixing a power supply or, you know, swapping out boards, going through the nightmare of outrun machines where the boards just constantly die and it's impossible <laughs> to find working motherboards for an outrun machine. Right. Um, and, and the gears and the, I mean, don't, don't buy an outrun machine <laughs> is what I'm trying to say, because those things are money pits. I say the same thing about uh, pole position and baby Pac-Man. Those two moving parts just, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, well, it's yeah. like baby Pac-Man, every owner has two. 
one for parts and one that <laughs> semi-works, right? That thing is it's just the worst conglomeration. That's that's really morbid. It's like having like a like a clone just in yeah. case you need an extra liver. Yeah, it's like parts the clonus horror or you know, the island, I guess, was the remake. So <laughs> Oh yeah, that's right. Um yeah, and it, it's really scary. When you start thinking about dropping eighty dollars on gears for a steering wheel for a <laughs> video game, and then the process like I tr- oh, I'm not even going to get into this. I spent so many days trying to fix outright machines. And then when you move it, it's the heaviest arcade machine that you've ever moved. Yeah. Um, and the most awkward to move as well. So uh, watch out for that. But definitely jump on like Craigslist and find like a, a cheap, you know, $200 you know, Street Fighter cabinet or something like that that you can uh, clean up because you'll be surprised how much uh, these are neglected these days, unfortunately, in the the households. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's one of the things like arcade ownership can be scary and they're like, Oh, I can't work on those. But you know, if you're, you know, even remotely technical, if you just take it very slowly, you know, watch some YouTube videos, look at walkthroughs, um, you know, on online, that's how I started, right? I bought mm-hmm. a couple machines and they broke and I had to learn how to fix it. So you just kind of dive in there and it's not as scary. It can get bad sometimes but there's a pretty good community online and you know usually locally they can they can help you repair stuff well it's, it's funny that you say that because uh literally just today um at arcade repair the guys at arcade repair tips uh started mm-hmm. following me on twitter and i don't know why they must have saw it on, on player <laughs> one or something like that but right um i watched those videos religiously and those guys uh did a really good job showing step by step they made me a little bit less afraid of and these guys just like they do this stuff like they take off flybacks you know the the scariest thing that you could do on an arcade machine they do it like it's no problem like it's just yeah i'm just you know shoving this uh screwdriver underneath here to (laughs) to you know um deep deep power the the monitor and stuff like Mm -hmm. that to decharge it and no problem and those guys uh have some really good free stuff on on youtube that you can check out so um definitely go there and as well Definitely some great resources. Um, last last thing I need to ask because I'm really sure. confused about this question. Um, Metal Slug Two versus Metal Slug X. There's this is a conversation. Um, okay, but but I, I I've I I've played through most of Metal Slug Two uh, yesterday. There is some slowdown issues. It's still a great game, but mm-hmm. if you have to pick between the two, which one are you putting in? I'd say probably X. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, and of course, now everyone's going to say you're totally wrong or you. are totally right yeah, <laughs> I think I, a, it gets a i mean to be honest and, and maybe this is the hedge like i really haven't given it that much thought usually i have them both and kind of just you know switch between the two a lot of people say they'd rather play x mm-hmm. so this is going more from the when people ask me to play something or like hey can you grab this cart usually they'll say x over two mm-hmm. um so you know most people want to play x and and, and also uh are you going to be sponsoring or putting together any kind of Windjammers tournament, uh, some kind of <laughs> worldwide competition, maybe uh, maybe like West Coast, East Coast, Europe, and uh, Tokyo might as well? Uh, yeah, you know, we, we got to get it into the eSports, uh, you know, get, get it somehow into there, maybe uh, maybe at the we get Dago or something to start picking up uh, Windjammers. Well, you've played enough of this to know, <laughs> is, it, is it deep enough? Or no. can people can people break this game? I mean, there's an element of like you can be a button masher and be pretty good at the game. Okay. Um, yeah, there's 
it's deeper than you would think, but it's not that deep. Um, you know, it's it's a really fun game. You know, there's always been that rumor that uh, Dave Lang is gonna like, <laughs> get the rights to it and, and put out a new version of, of Windjammers, or you know, make that frisbee like the throw in the frisbee and the dog gets it like a real part of the game or something. But um, yeah, it's it's just dumb fun, and uh, you know, it's more expensive now, sure, uh, but. You know, if you can put that in, everybody feels like they can play it. It doesn't feel like one of those, I need to know all these, you know, weird combos and everything. Like every once in a while, the disc will start flying around. You won't know how you did it. But mm-hmm. um, it's it, what I've noticed is people like, can casually pick it up and just you're yelling at each other. And, um, you know, when I had in the office, we had a yeah, whiteboard next to it. It's like the Windjammers Championship, <laughs> <laughs> the most wins and things like that. Well, that's 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 the key is to to find games out there that are you know you're able to have anyone come over and and pick up and play like that's why you mentioned you know puzzle bubble and things like that anyone can jump on and it's not just going to be uh, you know Samurai Showdown two or something like that where there right. is some kind of uh, learning curve to it uh, before you can even really get get started to do cool things you can do cool things at Windjammers almost without uh, knowing what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. And then when it happens, you're like, oh, I wish I knew how to do that, but it was cool. <laughs> so it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, I if, if people out there want to see some more of that stuff, um, it was part of the the charity thing that um, Giant Bomb did a couple months ago. Man, I don't even know what, what it is. I guess it was like two months ago now um, mm-hmm. that you can check out and you can see them having a lot of fun with that. And I think that, again, you you can blame them. You can blame Jeff. You can do whatever. <laughs> But seriously, that game is hard to come by. Keep an eye out on uh, eBay and your your local uh, arcade distributors, which there kind of aren't any, um, or, <laughs> or Clove to go to any form that you can to, to check it out. But it's uh, definitely worth playing and unfortunately not on the virtual console. Another no. reason to buy the real deal. Yeah, it's also not on the multi-carts. Like those, like, oh, that's like, right. 161 and one, they're not on those either. So, Do you know why? Is it just like... Hard to emulate or something, or hard to fit on the card? I don't know. Uh, to be honest, I don't know. It, it was just one of those, hey, that game's missing. That's weird. Um, so yeah, I'm sure someone will correct and, and say exactly why it's not on there. I hope the people in Korea can hear yeah. a call to, to make <laughs> some new 162 in one carts. Right. That right. add uh, windjammers and then. Yeah, actually, will, you just uh, need one. It's like a one of one. It's just a windjammer <laughs> bootleg. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, not, not a lot of bootlegs of that that I've seen. But, um, anyways. Steve, thank you so much for for taking the time uh, on your weekend to to talk about some some old video games. It's been a, a huge pleasure, and um, I hope you know we'll we'll have this go out and then uh, maybe get some feedback, get some more questions, and and have you on again down the road. Obviously, you're going to be on next week uh, in the future to talk about Bonk's Adventure on yes. the Turbo Graphics sixteen. Oh, not the NES version. I thought we were going to talk the NES version. <laughs> We can talk about the, we'll probably be end up talking about the NES version too, um, because there's going to be some fun stuff with that, but, uh, that is going to be, that's a super interesting game. Um, and that's probably the one game that everyone who touched the turbo graphics also played, um, besides probably blazing lasers. Um, Mm -hmm. so we'll be talking about that. So follow, uh, Steve at Stephen P Lynn on Twitter. And, um, also you can check out the, uh, show on iTunes. If you can, please submit a review. That is the best way to support us right now and constantly adding videos on YouTube at uh, youtube.com slash back in my play. Steven, thank you again for, for taking time to, to talk. We'll be talking to you down the road. Great. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure.